It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day, in the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Show. My name's Josh Ayler, drummer of Art and Simmons, Trey Scott, later by Connor Tapp. How are we doing today, guys? Woo! Wow, got a woo! Woo! Good right. to have you back, Josh. Thank you. Yeah, Good to be back. Yeah. Showing yeah. off a new sweater. Yeah, I love a sweater from the poker collection, as you guys would yeah. probably say. Yeah. Nice. Uh, nice. I, I don't know. I figured you were going to weigh in on something or say something. Yeah, what do you have? 22 grand worth of... Sweatshirts and hoodies, huh? Yeah, man. It's good. like to live uh, comfortable. It's a life. It's a comfortable living. Uh, hit us with your questions, comments. We'll read those later in the show. We'll have a fan of the week as well. All right, let's go ahead and get into it, guys. Um, so did the f- college football landscape change this weekend after an injury? Uh, Tua went down in the Tennessee game. He had a right, high, right ankle sprain. Uh, had a procedure done. LSU game is looming. Alabama fans are getting nervous. What, what what do you think? Yeah, I think the college football landscape changed. Though I think it's important to acknowledge that this is a little bit of a different feel from a national landscape in general than than maybe last year, where it was the two teams and everyone else. And I think Alabama was going to be challenged against LSU in a couple weeks with a fully healthy Tua. Uh, that, that's just, you know, there's still, Ohio State is still out there that's just out, out here just crushing people. I think Oklahoma people have a lot of respect for and hey, maybe even Penn State. I mean, there's just, there, there's a flurry of teams right now that we can't put in a dramatically different tier than, than the one Alabama is in. That said, if Tua is not healthy, that's, that's a big if because he might get healthy. But if Tua is not healthy, I think this Alabama team, because of the way it's constructed, is very, very different and significantly more beatable. So Tua in the SEC championship game last year, when he was dealing with an injury that eventually knocked him out, Tua was hardly healthy the whole second half of this season. That was a huge storyline. He must have gone to the tent five times. Anyway, against Georgia, 10 for 25, one touchdown, two interceptions, easily his worst game of the year. And Barton, you could probably speak to it a little bit better. But when Tua is hobbled and when, when Tua is not himself he can't do the, the kind of Tua things that you know the vintage Tua and I, I know this year he's you know dialed that back a little bit he's uh you have a phrase that I'm you know forgetting that he's but he's just kind of taking what the defense gives him and just you know yeah I'll, I'll hit Henry Ruggs for eight yards on a slant and watch him go the distance but Alabama has built itself around this offense and Connor we talked about this on our podcast earlier this week to the point where they're so Tua reliant that, yeah, without Tua, like, I don't see them just pounding the rock with Najee and winning a game. Well, they don't have a Jalen Hurts to come in and save them like they did last year. Yeah, there's, like, so many things here, too. It's, you know, Mac Jones and how has the transfer portal affected Alabama. But I don't think Alabama would stand a chance against LSU with a Tua who's not 100%. I mean, I don't, I, yeah, I don't think that Alabama would beat LSU without a, a uh, at least, like, an 85 90% Tua. Um, I think a couple things. One – this injury is, according to Nick Saban, whether we believe Nick Saban or not, this is not as 
extreme of an injury, as serious of an injury as the one he suffered last year that took him 28 days or whatever. To, Same to get, injury, different ankle. But not Same as injury, but he's saying it's yeah, yeah. Not, not as serious. So that's encouraging. Um, on the flip side, last year they had that safety net. I mean, Jalen Hurts, and, and even before that, I mean, this is an Alabama team that has not been playing with the same level of backup quarterback that the rest of college football is uh, over the last few years. It was Jalen Hurts, and if something goes wrong with Jalen Hurts, you got Tua. Then it was Tua, and if something goes wrong with Tua, you got Jalen Hurts. And now all of a sudden is Mac, Mac Jones uh, behind him. And Mac Jones is your, your typical backup quarterback for a really good football team. He's, he's competent. He's, he was a highly regarded recruit, three-star guy. At one point, he was committed to Kentucky. He was supposed to be the yeah. kind of the, yeah. the gem of their class. And, you know, I think, like, for example, I think that Mac Jones is probably still a better quarterback than what Alabama will be facing on the other side of the ball at Arkansas sure. this week. But Mac Jones is, is not, and especially considering the way their offense is, because you said it's not, it's not the old bus driver offense no. where you get a guy under center and you hand it off and you let the, the offensive line mash you. I mean, maybe they can transition into that. I think it's in their DNA right now to be a little more wide open, to lean on the wide receivers, and why not? So it's now on Mac Jones to be able to facilitate and distribute, and he can do that. But can you do it to the degree of, of outdueling Joe Burrow? That, that's the big question. Can you do it to the degree of, of doing it against a Clemson defense, uh, an Ohio State defense, outdueling Justin Fields? That's all where it's a little over Mac Jones's head and Tua needs to get healthy. I know Alabama has this LSU game November 9th, but they, yeah, they did get lucky with the schedule here. They got lucky that it happened against Tennessee, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Tennessee sort of imploded with a chance to beat Alabama. Now they have Arkansas, the worst team for my money in the SEC, although we can talk about Vanderbilt's credits there. And then you have a bye week. But, yeah, Mac Jones, you can't have LSU break your serve defensively. If LSU gets a stop or two or three, you're done. Like, you can't keep up with them. So I hope he's healthy. I hope he's healthy. Well, and particularly because this Alabama is not only are they not constructed in the same way offensively, they're not constructed in the same way defensively. And part of that is just – the, the human nature of playing as a complementary piece to a wide-open 50-point-a-game kind of offense. And part of it is starting two true freshmen at linebacker, another true freshman at nose guard, and um, kind of just having some, some inexperience in that defense. But this is just not the same Alabama defense that's going to suffocate you. I mean, Alabama has been – and, this again, this is partially due to the offense that they're playing – alongside of, but they've been in the top five in yards per game allowed on defense uh, eight of the last ten years, five of the last ten years. I think they've been one or two, maybe even one. Um, and this year they're like 26th or something. So it's just a different style team, and that style is dependent on Tua. We got a, we got a couple of questions on this topic uh, coming in. Thick and fast here. Uh, Eric Samus says uh, Bama is tour reliant as much as LSU is Burrow reliant. You know, you never hope somebody gets injured, but uh, LSU does have a game against Auburn this weekend that could be physical. Could uh, I mean? I mean, I, I'm not going to speculate sure. on like Joe Burrow getting injured, right. but I do think it's a. Fa- I mean, it, look, I I'm not going to dismiss the the point though in that like because I, I thought about this recently too is. I mean, backup quarterbacks are pretty critical 
in national championship runs. We've learned that over the last few years. Um, almost every year, there's a, a backup quarterback playing in a meaningful college football playoff game. Joe Burrow is, I, I, I don't disagree with the point that Joe Burrow is as important to LSU success as Tua is to Alabama's because maybe even more so because I think Miles Brennan, if he comes in, is not going to beat Alabama. Right. So sure. I mean, I think that's, I'm, I'm willing to acknowledge that. When you're playing at like an offense, when you're playing offense the way Alabama or LSU is playing, where you're quarterback dependent, I, I maintain that's the right way to win championships now. You live or die by Tua. And if he gets hurt, that sucks. And hopefully you have a backup like Jalen Hurts to support him. But I, Connor and I, again, we talked about this on our pod on the College Football Daily on Apple Podcasts this week. I have seen, just real quick here, my 2009 Texas Longhorns were so Colt McCoy dependent when they played Alabama in the 2010 BCS title game. Texas's offense was 68th nationally in rushing. Texas never even tried to establish the ground game that year. It was Colt McCoy, live or die. And the moment Colt McCoy went down with a shoulder injury at the hands of Marcel Darius, Texas was done. No chance. So... I think that to win a national title in this day and age, you have to have a dynamic quarterback. So you have to be quarterback dependent. But if you don't have a backup who can do the same kind of things, and you're not going to have one in the, in the era of the transfer portal, you're toast. And that's going to be a really interesting thing, not just this year, but the next few years too. Uh, Mark Keeswetter, sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name, Mark, but he wants to know, I mean, we saw Mac Jones come in. seems like Slate <clears throat> Bolden is maybe option three. He wants to know what's going on with to his brother, Talia. Is he an option for Alabama right now? I don't have the insight into how he's looking in practice um, and how much he has absorbed the playbook uh, and those sort of um, details and, and, and background. But I, I can tell you as a player, I think Talia is probably a more instinctive, fluid, natural quarterback than Mac Jones. And yet Talia, as a true freshman, I don't think has any of the physical traits, whether that be athleticism, whether that be arm strength, uh, whether that be anything that sets you apart that makes Talia a better option to play over a more experienced Mac Jones who has a better feel and grasp of what they're trying to do in the system in front of you. So Talia, is, is, he is not Tua. And, and that, I think that's important to, to understand is – uh, while he has some of the same traits, certainly from an intangible perspective and from just a feel for the position, he's not Tua in terms of the horsepower that he's got uh, when he's on the field. All right, let's, let's move on. So uh, another big topic during the week. So Jeremy Pruitt, in the out, the Tennessee's playing Alabama, and I guess what happened was I was kind of out last Saturdays, but... <clears throat> I guess Tennessee was down, what, 20 or 28-13. They were on the goal line, and I believe a call he, – he, it was a quarterback sneak actually would happen, but I believe it was supposed to be a run to the left, and Jeremy Pruitt – he came up on the sidelines and Pruitt grabbed uh, – I'm sorry. Guarantano fumbled the ball. Try, he, 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 he went, went rogue. rogue. He, right. called, he, he called his own number, QB sneak. That wasn't the play call. He reached the ball out. Instead of getting a touchdown, Alabama fumped, like scoop and scored a 99 yard um, touchdown. And so instead of being down potentially eight, all of a sudden they're down 22. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was uh, a big play. So, yeah. He grabbed his face mask, and now it's been the big discussion of the week. Should he have done that? Is that wrong? Fellas. 
when you, I mean, we're going to tee this up for you. You played. Okay. You played. I don't think <laughs> yeah. that, you know, did Yale players have their face mask, mask grab? Never you, had my face mask grab. Okay, what are I never thoughts? did something as now, boneheaded as that. Th this that, was though. a boneheaded thing. Like, that this would have been 28-20 in the fourth quarter against a Mac Jones-led Alabama team. When, they had the touchdown. When, when, you, when you saw how angry Pruitt was, you knew it, was, it wasn't just about fumbling the right. ball. And I, I thought at first maybe it was just in, in the moment, maybe it was just, hey, they've taught these guys never to extend the ball on a quarterback sneak, and he went and did that. Um, but when you watch the replay and you see the left guard pulling to the perimeter and Mac and uh, Jarek Guarantano like literally uh, inserting himself right in the spot that the guard had just vacated, it's clearly it's it's a it's a mistake by the quarterback and it's him going rogue. And and what's worse is they had a touchdown had he gone had he just handed the ball off. Uh, the blocking was there, the call was right. So. So you can see how frustrating that is for a coach, and you can see how, how – how, and even if he doesn't fumble it, then Alabama has the ball on the one-yard line, and you're still in the game. So it was just a total disaster, and this is a, a coaching staff that has been trying to work around bad quarterback play all year long. And so I can see the frustration bubbling up to the, to the, to the, the face mask grab. Okay. Okay? I, I think – and look, there's been a lot of – former players coming out and, and condemning that. You don't grab the face mask. And I think it's important to note who's, who is condemning that. Largely, it's former NFL players. And they have, that's fair. They have their, their perspective. But I think those guys are coming at it from the perspective of someone who most recently experienced football as an adult, as a professional and where colleges and players are almost peer to peer, I'm sorry, where coaches and players are almost peer to peer, like there's not really that uh, hierarchy that you see in college. I'm not saying it, that like that's a slippery slope. Don't go grabbing people's face mask. I don't think it was a extreme instance, but there is an element of college working with kids, coaches working with college kids, and an element of teaching discipline. Um, look me in the face, kind of. There, there is some some personal growth that is supposed to take place due to the discipline and the hard uh, tactics of, of a coach in a college program. So I'm okay with it. I, I think if it's, a, if it's an NFL coach grabbing an, an NFL player's face mask, that's a totally different deal. Well, the NFL players are getting paid a lot. Yeah, you probably can pay more than coach in some instances. But this is a situation where I, I felt like there's, there's, it wasn't a – now, if you're like grabbing a face mask and ripping a guy around, I mean, look, again, there is, it is a slippery slope. <clears throat> But in this scenario, uh, given all the context, I, I was fine with it. And if that was my son, I would not be offended. I think a thing that sometimes we're not often careful enough in commenting on these situations is that we basically only get a three-hour-per-week window into what the relationship is like between these players and their coaches. And we don't know the context of their interactions, what their relationship was like, if this is something that, you know, Garantano would – see is like kind of normal it's like this is just part of the way we teach and maybe you could say well that shouldn't be part of the way you teach but I like I, I, a lot of these situations I know being a South Carolina basketball fan with Frank Martin as our head coach he's very famously very loud and screamy but like all of his players like love him in a way that I do not see uh in, in other places to the extent so I mean 
I, th- I think it's important to keep that in mind. I mean, this was 20 years ago. I've had my face mask pulled down by a coach before, and I didn't think it was a big deal. It actually got my attention. So, I mean, now, I mean, I could see, yeah, I can see how people are upset about it, but I've had this happen to me before. I, I bet he didn't think of anything like he, it was a big deal either until everybody started making a big deal. There's a, there's a kid who's committed to Tennessee right now, a four-star wide receiver named Jalen Hyatt. His dad tweeted this after the game, uh, the dad of the prospect who is committed but not on Tennessee's roster. Dear Coach Pruitt and other Vol coaches, if my son acts like a nut or needs correcting, you have my permission to lay hands on him, his face mask, his shoulder pads, or put his butt on the ground. I'm signing him over to you to develop a man, warrior, and winner, signed dad. I actually think that that's a relevant tweet and a relevant perspective to bring up is, hey, we may be aghast at a coach grabbing his face mask, but the, the player, a dad who's sending his kids there is, is wanting that kind of interaction. Yeah, I mean, not everybody wants to be touched, but I, you know, still at the same time. Uh, let's move on. Willie Taggart. Is he on his way out? What, what is going on down in Florida State? So on our On the Bench podcast at Florida State, Josh Newberg this week mentioned that Taggart and Florida State officials or the administration, Florida State sort of might be behind the scenes working on an exit plan here. The Seminoles are three and four. They might not make a bowl game for the second year in a row, but Taggart's buyout is $17 million? after sort of everything, the whole bill gets served. I don't know who they would get, but this seems very real. And, and we, we spent a few episodes on the show earlier this season talking about year two coaches on the hot seat, and Jeremy Pruitt was one of them. Willie Taggart, we, I kind of assumed like they're just stuck with him for two years, but the fact that they're talking about an exit plan and that that's getting out, it, it's hard to kind of go back from here. It's kind of wild. It's, it's, it's surprising. I did not think we'd be having this conversation, regardless of how bad the season went, barring like a 1-11 in 11 year. Uh, this is ultimately a team that hasn't – I mean, look, it's not up to Florida State standards, but it still hasn't lost to a bad football team. Um, it's, it's lost to some teams that Florida State is used to beating typically. Um, I think, to me, probably the biggest issue here and, and why this is getting real is not that Florida State's losing – and because even they're losing in close games, yeah. you know, they're having a chance to win, but it's how they're losing, what it looks like. I mean, the, the game, and I didn't watch the whole Wake Forest game, but I did see the end I, I, in retrospect because people were telling me about how sloppy it looked, and it was, it was a mess. Like, their, their two-minute drill at the end of the game with 35 seconds left, they get two plays off, uh, both of them fumbles, one a bad snap, one a fumble. Uh, between the two plays, they barely get lined up in time to get the last play off. It was just a, it was a, it was a mark of an undisciplined, poorly coached team that wasn't playing with urgency. And so I think that is starting to wear on the fan base. And this weekend is going to be an empty stadium, a sleepy atmosphere, a program that's not making any money on its football team right now. And so it's it's certainly. Um, Interesting that things are starting to get real there. Almost lost to Louisiana Monroe. Needed. That, over- I think that was a that win probably is as bad of a look as any of the losses. Oh yeah, uh, you know you had the big lead against Boise State in Week One and you imploded. You had the same similar issues on a a sort of two minute drill against Virginia in that game. The problem is in year two, if a coach can say, "Look, I don't have the talent." and I need to keep recruiting, that's fine. Like, I can, I can deal with that. 
But when it seems like the coaching hasn't gotten any better, and it seems like the coaching is in fact what's keeping this team from reaching the next step, that's my issue. And I, I you, but usually I'd say like let's go for a year three. But why at this point? Like he has not shown me anything that proves he's a competent coach. Yeah, I mean, it might be the coaching, but if I'm Florida State or if I'm giving advice to Florida State, I'm just like, maybe make sure, like, make really sure that Willie Taggart is your problem here and maybe not a holdover of some culture issues from previous staff or whatever it might be because, I mean, Willie Taggart has an impressive track record coming into this job, and if you do fire him, like, I, if you don't get that hire to replace him right, like, I don't, you're in danger of becoming like what Nebraska has become in terms of just this revolving door of coaches and these chasing this like specter of success that is fading further and further from memory. But I think Nebraska at least has the right guy. And I think Nebraska's specter of success fading has as much to do with how college football has changed as anything. Like, fine. If Scott Frost doesn't work out at Nebraska, then that's just going to be an indictment on, on like, can you, can you recruit to Nebraska? Can you win at Nebraska? Because it's not the way it was in the 90s. I truly don't think Florida State has the right guy. Now, I'm not sitting here saying I know who they should hire. Because we've talked about the market looks a little bit weaker. And there is a report that they would target Urban Meyer. But I can't see Urban Meyer. Which, by the way, produced one of the weirdest quotes ever by an AD or pre- who I don't know who said it, but the They were like, hey, we don't want Steve or Spurrier either. Yeah. I'm not saying I know who Florida State should hire, but I, I'm convinced this is not going to work out. I'm, I'm, I don't disagree with you. I just think it's important to to note what Willie Taggart's history is. I think when you go back to USF, when he took over a team that went eight and four, five and seven, and then three and nine before he got there, they got, they got like this, that first year he was there, two and 10, it was a bad, ugly two and 10. He was a there. It was a bad, it was a bad four <clears throat> win season the following year. It was four and eight, and it wasn't that much prettier. Snuck in a couple wins, one of them against an FCS opponent. And, and it still looked ugly. And then he shifted the offense around, and things started to pick up. And, and look, this is still, as, as bad as it's looked, still an improvement on last year. Sure. And so in some ways, I'm not arguing for Willie Taggart, but I am sort of saying that you should have, like, you, Willie Taggart is, doesn't have a history of turning things around in one year. He doesn't have a hit. It's a slow burn with Willie Taggart based on his history. So if that's who you're hiring, if that's what you're banking on, then I would sort of acknowledge what you're signing up for. I sort of thought that when Florida State with Willie Taggart was signing up for top five classes for a really interesting offensive dynamic, and they had to switch offenses in, in one year. Like we had the Gulf Coast offense or whatever it was called. Well, that didn't really work out, so they brought in Kendall Bryles, who has a great offensive mind. You know, it's working out a little bit better. As you said, they're finding ways to you know, not lose games as poorly. But their they're recruiting's you know, 19th. In the country, mm-hmm. uh, 14th, 13th, that's not, that's not going to win you a national title. So, I don't Look, know. I know every situation is different, but what's a fair amount of time, would you say, to give a coach? I mean, for Willie Taggart, I, I, think, I think it's fair to expect things to look differently in year three. I, I think year two, especially with the offensive line he inherited, mm. I'm not going to – and, again, this is, this is not me saying I think he's the answer, but I am saying that – I mean, look at – I, I was thinking about this this week, like Pat Narduzzi at Pitt. I know this is a totally different situation, um, totally different expectations, totally different resources, but Pat Narduzzi at Pitt, things have looked just good enough over the last four years. We're in year five right now. Already? And Yeah, but 
this year in year five, like we're finally – this is the first time we're seeing a Pat Narduzzi like looking defense in terms of the cornerbacks on the outside, the defensive line, they're getting to the quarterback. I, when you and, and they're recruiting really well. I, I just looked at Pitt's class recently and there are a bunch of guys you really like. So if at a place like Florida State, you don't typically get the, the opportunity to, to let it breathe this long. Uh, so I think year three is is time to show real improvement. But I think year two, I think two years in is is not a fair um, is not a fair shake. Year three was when uh, James Franklin made his leap at Penn sure. State was an example that just Good popped point. into my head. All right, so let's move on. Wisconsin. Everybody was getting ready for this game this weekend. Took a little L over the weekend. Last second field goal by Illinois, fellas. Man, we just like don't know what we don't know, right? Like we, I, I was getting, I had spent three weeks getting excited for Wisconsin, Ohio State, and then they lose to Illinois. I think you still can get excited about it. Sure, I mean, it's just a different, this is a different spectrum. I mean, the stakes are lower. Sure. So there's a few things here. Wisconsin, their defense is still number one nationally in total defense. So they still have the defense. It's a reminder that Wisconsin can't really afford to turn the ball over. Their offense is in the quick strike explosive unit. Jack Cohn threw an interception. Jonathan Taylor fumbled. Big Ten West sort of now up for grabs. Big Ten can take itself itself out of the two-team playoff conversation. I'm not sure that was realistic anyway, given the nature of how many good teams there are in college football. But, Barton, what's sort of your you know resounding takeaway? I mean, I think we'll see what Wisconsin does this weekend at Ohio State. I, my expectation, and I'm not going to pretend like I, I saw the Illinois game coming, but my expectation, I think, would have been as I was – gearing up to this Ohio State game was that Ohio State would handle Wisconsin pretty easily. Um, I certainly believe that now with the, with the loss to Illinois. But I think the, the reality is, and you said, like, we don't know what we don't know. I think if you had really dug on what Wisconsin had done to this point, they hadn't played an offense with a pulse. Like, truly, Michigan was the best offense they played. That was Michigan's third game of the year. They hadn't looked good yet. I mean, this was uh, – this was a, a, a relatively fraudulent defense, a one-dimensional offense, even though we thought Jack Cohen— Wisconsin's it, defense is fraudulent? Re, I said relatively oh, because fraudulent they because they hadn't played style, anybody. Okay, it was not, it's not the best defense okay, in the country okay. is, what I, is kind of what I'm getting at. You really at. don't think so? No, okay. because, I mean, based on South Florida, Central Michigan, Michigan, Northwestern, Kent State, okay. and Michigan State— Illinois is the best offense they played, and Illinois moved the ball on them. Illinois had five and a half yards of play. So— uh, I mean, look, Wisconsin could go and lock down Ohio State, and all of a sudden we, we were wrong to, to talk about them like this. But I think based on what they showed against Illinois, based on when you retroactively kind of look at what their opponents have been, there, there really isn't enough reason to think. I think this is more of not that they're going to lose to Illinois more than – I mean, they'll beat Illinois nine times out of yeah, ten. right. But I still think that – uh, that exposed them as more of who they are than sort of some blip on the radar. They were overlooking them, and, and now they're going to beat Ohio State. I don't expect that to happen. Connor, how are we looking up on questions? Yeah, um, we got a few coming in. Keep them coming. Uh, Jeff wants to know – he points out, you know, Texas just barely beat Kansas. And, like, if that field goal that sends them through in the final seconds is missed, are we maybe talking about – I don't know. What is the conversation around Tom Herman if that happens? Oh, boy. Here we go. Yeah. 
So Texas threw, had a throwback night to honor the national champions of 1969. Tom Herman wore like a Darrow K. Royal throwback hat. And then they almost lost to Kansas. Losing to Kansas is an unforgivable sin if you're the Texas Longhorns. They got Charlie Strong fired a few years ago. That was in Lawrence. I think a lot of Texas fans wanted that one to happen to get Charlie Strong out to get a guy like Tom Herman in. And then you've got a team you can't tackle, you can't play defense. I don't care if you have eight starters injured on defense. The, the culture that Tom Herman has built up, sort of kind of faltering. You have an offensive starter this week, Brennan Eagles, skipping practice. He'll probably be suspended Saturday. You got another decommitment this week. It would have been an absolute nightmare. He would not have been on the hot seat, but I think you would have halted all momentum that you had from the Sugar Bowl last year, from an Oklahoma win last year, because it hasn't been smooth sailing for Texas recently, guys. It really hasn't. They kind of struggled at West Virginia. Oklahoma was a seven-point loss, but that looked like a lot more than seven. If you watch that game, Texas was never really in that. And then Kansas is a nightmare. I mean, it's it feels a lost season. We're on the verge of it. Oh, ye of little faith. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I mean, so now you're a Texas now fan. <clears throat> like, just, no, I mean, it's just you are you're a Texas fan, and the first sign of adversity, you're jumping ship. This isn't the first sign of adversity. Well, this is, you know what? This is a... This is a 12-game season. Uh-huh. There's there's peaks and valleys. You got to battle through it. Uh, Coach Herman would be disappointed in you right now. What do you to mean? Hear you drink water. The lack of conviction that you have and belief in this program. Tell me what happens when you watch a team that can't tackle, and we'll move on because I know this is a team that can't tackle that has. Is that a culture that, issue? Well, Practice issue. It lost eight stars from last year and has like seven more that have been injured. Okay. I mean, you're playing your third stringers. But shouldn't those guys beat Kansas? Is that a they silly? Did. Is that a silly? T- okay. They beat Kansas. Well, that's probably a hard team for. I mean, I'm not look making excuses for them, but hard team to get up for. Yeah, yeah. No, and not even that. But Kansas has been significantly improved this year, yeah. and they're also playing. They're playing Texas, coming off a bye week, new offense with their new offensive coordinator. That that I, I didn't see the game because it's on Longhorn Network. You're you're. Precious network. Yeah. Well, but they, they probably had some wrinkles you that guys, yeah. Texas hadn't seen yet. You guys have made me feel better. Honestly, it took me to Thursday to feel good about this two point win over the Wobegon Kansas Jayhawks, so I'm glad we had this moment on the show. Are you going to change your pick no. later in the day? No. And how dare you spoil my pick? <laughs> uh, Zach wants to know if you guys are buying that Jim Harbaugh wants back in the NFL. In case you missed it, there's a report that. Jim Harbaugh is pursuing an exit strategy. Jim Harbaugh then turns around and writes, sends a letter out to uh, Michigan commits saying that it's a bunch of baloney. So, uh, but I don't, what do you guys think? It's, it's, it's a bunch of baloney cooked up by, quote, our enemies. I love how Jim mm. Harbaugh speaks as if he is... Uh, President? Trump. <laughs> <laughs> or, Careful. Or just <laughs> heading, into, heading into, like, a battle. Like, a political battle. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I, I don't know that I'm buying this. Uh, it makes sense that he would want to. Look, look, no, I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm buying it. I'm not saying I'm selling it. If you have a really terrible week at work, you might make a call and say. He's had a terrible few weeks. Yeah. Do you think Jim Harbaugh is realizing that his precious Michigan, the expectations are too high? And he's sitting there in, what, year five now, and he's like, I can't get through the glass ceiling. I've got an all-time Ohio State program in the midst of an absolute dynasty, changing coaches, and looking even better. I can't recruit the way I thought I was going to recruit. Rashawn Gary, that whole class is gone. What did they get me? I mean, God. The NFL, his brother's having a lot of fun in Baltimore. I can't – I'm not going to pretend to know – 
what motivates Jim Harbaugh. Harbaugh. I mean, that's a weird dude. Yeah. He is a weird guy. And sure, I could believe it if he wants to get back in the NFL. I could believe it if he feels like, if he in his head is like, I am in Michigan for life. I could believe it if I, I don't think I could believe it if he was going to just retire. Like he's he's going to be around. I football. mean, like retire. I, yeah, resign. but I know. But I'm just saying. Um, I watched Harbaugh's presser this week only because I, I just sort of went on a presser kick and watched several. And uh, you're, a, you're a weird. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That like he's that's not a guy that looks like he's enjoying himself. I mean, I, I think he's not, not not that he ever enjoys himself interacting with the press. Yeah. But that would be that wouldn't. That would not be a fun guy to cover uh, on a daily basis, but I, I don't know. Like I just think maybe he's 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 okay with the with the battle. And he, he he used to be fun. I used to really like covering Jim Harbaugh. He did used to be fun. from a national fun. level. He used to go shirtless. He used to start up with SEC coaches. Now he's just a miserable guy. Yeah, miserable guy. Maybe he'll <laughs> get hey. Maybe get a couple wins and beat Notre Dame. He maybe will be more fun. I won't spoil your pick. We got the legend Woody Strickland back in the comments this Woody. week. He says, another week and you guys are awesome. So what's wow. going on with the referees and all the calls oh being missed God. on the field? Uh. A lot of upset coaches. Uh, he adds that glad the gambler is back. Um, so Thanks, Woody. Yesterday, yesterday, I think it was yesterday, yeah, it was day yesterday. before, Greg Sankey, SEC commissioner, puts out his vague statement kind of tangentially addressing some complaints that South Carolina and I think I'm not sure what Tennessee fans beef is uh, but complaints about some officiating from this past weekend so I'll, I'll throw it to you guys I don't have much tolerance for issues with officiating but I actually would be interested in, in Connor if you have thoughts on the South Carolina game Barton if, if you have thoughts Josh you know I, I'll say there were some terrible calls in that game South Carolina? That, yeah. that holding South Carolina? That holding, what he had about game. the collar? Uh, I, didn't think, I didn't think that was a holding. South Carolina? Why not? The one on the long run? Yeah. Where he's just running alongside him? Yeah, you can't grab his jersey like that. I know the guy well, he went wasn't like He wasn't like a kid where he was like He was like holding like a puppet almost. Like he was like a puppet I, master. I, I felt like that was – I know the South Carolina fans were furious about that play. I did not watch that play and thought think that a holding should have been called. Yeah, I think the the more egregious one was a clear like pick play on the on the passing touchdown. The kind of that was a that was a penalty. Yes. Yeah, pick plays are hard. But it's but again, yeah, I think referees make mistakes. I think pick plays sometimes are hard to catch. They that was a mistake though. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, I'm not a big blame the refs person. Even when sometimes it clearly does go against you, but there are, you know, more than a hundred plays that happen in any given game. Um, so like closer to like 150 or 200 maybe. So um, I feel like to single out one mistake a referee made, even though it was costly, it's just kind of like just do better. And, you know, the old cliche, like don't leave it to the refs to make a decision that costs you. Pruitt had some, had some, some issues with the refs too, Tennessee. Mm. A lot of issues out there. What else we got? Josh, I got uh, another question that kind of segues us into our next topic maybe. I don't want to step on... Step on ourselves. But uh, Mike Hay, Clemson fan, says he loves the show. Watch it every Thursday. Sweet. And he wants to know what people think about Clemson being disrespected by pollsters. We just let that. Do you want to just throw to the voicemail? Just yeah, throw it to the voicemail. Right, so we, we actually have a voicemail that was taken on Monday. It comes to Boiler Show, show uh, Roll Call. Uh, let's just go ahead and yeah. listen to it now. Yeah. Hi, this is Beth. I'm a huge Clemson fan. And my question is, 
Do you think that it's hurting Clemson that Dabo um, isn't one to raise the score up on the other team? He's more interested in getting his second and third stringers in to get experience. But in doing that, uh, the score doesn't go up high, and so therefore they don't beat other teams as badly as they could because that's just not what Dabo does. Thanks a bunch. Bye. Okay. Would you like to answer best question? What a gentleman. What a gentleman Davo is. They do play a lot of players. Yeah, I know. Just you know, just being penalized for being too good of a guy. <laughs> I I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. I look, I mean, if you wanna get upset about Clemson being penalized for people not being satisfied with twenty eight point wins, then that's fair. I mean, Clemson's killing people. I mean, I, in some ways, I do think Clemson is being overlooked. Yeah, their, def- their offense is finding some time to iron things out, um, and, and their defense is carrying them right now. But if your defense can carry you to 35-point wins on a bad day offensively, that means you're a pretty good football team. And so they've actually been improving in my eyes. I think I had them back at 6th or 7th at one point. Now they're up at 5th or 4th maybe for me now. So, I, look, they're, they're, I, I'm, I am reacting to how they're playing um, but I, I'm I'm not on, I'm not on board with Dabo's such a nice guy, and that's why they're getting penalized. Their offense is number ten nationally in yards per play. Not not so bad, not so bad. All right, so Kevin Boiler talked to Anna Hickey in this week's Bowling Point. Let's take a look. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Boiling Point, where we put our experts to the test by asking them a few pointy questions. The Clemson Tigers are the defending national champs and haven't lost a game yet this year, but they keep dropping in the rankings. With me today to discuss this slide is Anna Hickey of Clemson 24-7. Anna, the Tigers have fallen from number one to number four in the AP poll in the span of a month, despite the fact that they remain undefeated. Why are the AP voters down on Clemson? I think a lot of it just stems from the North Carolina game and then also the picks that Trevor Lawrence has thrown all season. And I think you've also just got to give a lot of credit to Ohio State and LSU. They've looked really good in recent weeks. Um, where I think most reasonable Clemson fans would kind of have an argument is, is what's the basis for keeping or I guess having Alabama at number one? Um, they kind of looked shaky last week at times versus Tennessee at home, yet they're still at number one. Um, so what's kind of the what are the voters looking at to keep Bama at one? than LSU, Ohio State, Clemson. Um, Other than that, I mean, I don't think Clemson really has a good case right now for being number one. So the drop in the polls shouldn't be too surprising. In the end, Anna, the AP poll doesn't matter. The rankings put together by the College Football Playoff Committee are the ones that actually count. When those rankings come out next month, do you think the committee will be just as critical of Clemson's resume? I'm really pumped for these first rankings because I'm pretty sure they're the first Tuesday or the Tuesday before we get Alabama LSU. So, I mean, is Clemson fifth? And if that's the case, I mean, there's going to be so much fuel for the Roy bus. Um, But I just, I think that, I don't know what the committee is going to look at, honestly. Um, And I think that's what makes it pretty exciting this year is that we're not just talking about Clemson and Alabama at the top. We're talking about LSU, Ohio State, Oklahoma, maybe even Penn State in the mix there by the time the first rankings are here. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see where the committee does slot Clemson, especially kind of if everything stays the same. Um, and I think Ohio State probably has an argument right now for the, be- the most complete team in the country. Um, and then may- I don't know if the committee will agree with that or not, but that's just my opinion. 
Anna, thank you so much for stopping by. We'll see where Clemson lands when the first playoff rankings are released on November 5th. In the meantime, follow Anna on Twitter and read her work over at Clemson 24-7. Thanks, Kevin. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. All right, thanks, Kevin. Uh, Trey, I know you got some thoughts on this. What? Go yeah. ahead. So I had Anna uh, on the podcast actually today on the College Football Daily on Apple Podcast, and we kind of had a conversation about this because I feel like every week I've said, I think Clemson's still good. I think Clemson's still number one, and I've sort of gotten some blowback to that. She makes an interesting point, though, about Alabama. She makes an interesting point, though, though that you know we're talking about Clemson, like, like let's, let's move them down. Alabama's not moving in the AP poll. What has Alabama done that's all that impressive? And Tua is hurt, so Tua should have have dropped on Sunday in the polls, in my estimation, if we're going to judge Clemson on a sliding scale. Look, Clemson's margin of victory compared to last year is 28. Last year was 28.6. We've talked about Trevor Lawrence's interceptions. When we've compared those to Deshaun Watson, Deshaun had seven through seven games as a sophomore. They made the title game. The next year, he had 17. They won the national title. Trevor Lawrence is still an incredible and elite quarterback. He's still got tons of weapons, and their defense hasn't missed a beat. It's my opinion that Clemson is still the best team in college football, and I'm getting a little bit annoyed of all of our flavor of the weeks, our Wisconsin's and our Georgia's and our Penn State's, and, and I don't think those guys are nearly as good. So, I, Go ahead. So, I mean, well, a, a lot there, but at first I think it's maybe a little bit of a straw man to throw the Alabama thing in because I would advocate – uh, for moving Alabama down if Tua's situation pending. I'd, I'd probably move them down to at least number two right now, maybe number three. Um, so, like, I don't, I, those things don't have to be mutually exclusive that you're worried about how Clemson has looked at times and that you could look at moving another team down. And then another thing is, like, we're talking about, like, the difference between one and maybe four. We're, I don't think anybody's seriously talking about putting Clemson – behind Georgia or Penn State or some of the Bart had Clemson at seven a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago. That's the whole point. Things can change. Right now, I think they're fourth for me. But I, but, I, but I think you can make a strong case they're fifth. And I also think that, yes, like the Alabama point is, is fair, but Alabama, Clemson still has that North Carolina game. Alabama doesn't. If you want to hold Tennessee against them now and start moving Alabama down, that's fine. But Alabama never got to a two-point conversion away from losing a football game. And, and until Alabama does that, until Ohio State does that, until LSU does that, why should Clemson be ahead of them? I know this is a, a debate we're having over and over again, but um, the, the cream will rise. It'll all get figured out. It'll all get sorted out in the end. But right now, I think it's very fair to have Clemson fourth in the country. I think you could, you could make a case if you want to. Uh, maybe they're three. I could get that. But, if, but, but, but certainly, I think – the idea that, that Clemson is, is being unfairly penalized is that that's all we're doing is, is, is grading them without the, the weight of last season, which I think is what you should do. Well, I have a hard time doing that because when we talk about Tua's injuries from last season, when we talk about our concerns with Alabama, we remember Tua's injuries last season, right? Okay, against Georgia. Or we just watched Mac Jones play against Tennessee. 
and see what that looked like. I'm if, just, if, well, let me say this. We're not, I, if you're going to hold <clears throat> Tua's injuries against Alabama, I think that makes perfect sense. But what, if, but what if Mac Jones had come in in, in relief and just absolutely picked apart the Tennessee defense? Does, do, do you then still hold Tua's injuries against Alabama yeah, in the same weight, with the same weight? Mm, probably not. But so I'm just saying, like it's it's all about what we're seeing this year. I guess just philosophically, like we've just been a little bit different with a sort of week to week. I just I I I my I preseason pick was Clemson. I've kept Clemson one. Well, when you look at them like versus LSU, when you look at them versus Ohio State, when you look at you know, I can I can I agree with Barton. I can see why they're fourth. But how much does this does any of this have anything to do with they're a little disappointing than more than we thought? Probably. Yes, but it, but there's the North Carolina game. It's still there. It doesn't like we didn't imagine that. Nor- the North Carolina game happened, where they almost lost to a team that's three and four right now, and they not almost lost. They literally would have lost the game if not for a two point conversion fail. You could have gotten down the field, Texas. They Maybe. Lost to okay, you're right. Fine, but I'm just saying, like that is a game that is on the record, is on the resume. And so we have to factor that in. That's I all I'm saying. I give them some credit for winning that game when we've seen other teams who we want to talk about being elite top four, top five teams not win those games. Yeah, well. and when they didn't win it, they dropped. I right. think in, in, in past years, like these, those kinds of losses have been kind of like a warning sign for teams like Ohio State kind of underperforming against teams you're clearly better than. And one of the reasons I'm boosting, uh, I have Ohio State so high this year is because they are looking so good. Like, you can only control, like, you only have so much control over who you can play. But if you beat them soundly and look good doing it, like, that's mat- that matters. It's a meaningful data point. And if you don't look good, then that's a meaningful data point, too. And, I mean, it's all kind of a moot point because Clemson's probably going to go undefeated and have a chance to prove it in the playoff. But here's the bottom line. The bottom line is if you are voting on a ranking, if you are deter- turning in a ranking, that ranking should be – a, a poll, not a prediction. If you want to predict whatever you want, that's fine. But all you're saying in a prediction is, I, I think I know something that the field isn't telling us. A poll should be reflective of what's happening on the field. No one's saying Clemson isn't going to be in the playoffs. Everyone's saying Clemson's going to be in the playoffs. But Clemson, if they're not in the top four, that is very defensible because we're not predicting we are evaluating. Well, and I know you said final point, and we'll move on. But it's you're you're. It's almost like you're just looking at too much of the paper. It's I, I just can't. It, it, they they are loaded. I just think they're one of the top four teams, number one in football. Okay. 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 We're talking mean, about, we we can talk like, about this every single week for the rest of the season. Yeah. We, I mean, we'll probably, probably we probably won't. Probably won't. won't. Right. We yeah. probably won't because at some point Clemson will will continue to play well, continue to get better, and another team will drop off. And then it, it will be a moot point because Clemson will be have risen to where they need to be. Okay. All right, I'll let you set it up. All right, so let's have some fun now. Let's all get along and have some <laughs> fun. Josh, welcome back. Uh, it's good to see you. Obviously, Thanks. you went to the World Series of Poker this summer. Right. And you won a lot of money. And every week you've just dashed, dazzled us with an array of new, new pullovers and sweaters. <laughs> and you're crushing it, Dillers. But you're also down $66,000 in your weekly betting segment in which you – Bet twenty two thousand. So is open that envelope is this a, up. Is this a Dillard special right here? Uh, <laughs> it's kind of like is it like I don't a tiger know. I don't, based? Is it like an animal cat, like I, a jungle cat theme? I believe my wife ordered this for me. I'm not sure. Oh, she his got wife's it. got All the right, card. So hold on. Yeah. So he's gonna open this up. 
Everyone here knows what the deal is. $22,000. Wait, wait. So, okay. So I'm down $66,000. I've yeah. been terrible. So can I... Maybe this is in your wheelhouse. Once you read Am this... I allowed to triple down when I'm negative? I, I will allow you to do that. Okay. Yes. All right. Okay. Yeah. So okay. I, I could possibly be down 120. Yeah. Yeah. All 132. Right. So you, once you read this, you have 15 seconds to make your pick and explain it. All right. <laughs> Mizzou, minus 10 and a half at Kentucky. Kentucky has no offense. It's supposed to rain again. They can't throw the ball. I like Missouri, minus 10 and a half. Sorry. I, wow. Whoa, and that only took seven seconds. And, and, are, you, and are you betting 66000 on this? Or is this just twenty thousand? God, would that be bad if I put sixty? Like, yeah, I am actually. I will wow. triple down. Tripling down. down. Tripling I will triple down. Ding, ding. Missouri ding, ding. will cover the spread. Damn man! Wow, I just said that's that is man on TV. That is. Uh, You've come a long be really, way from that, last year. Is that? That's gonna be really something if you get back to even uh, with betting against your beloved Kates. Yeah, I just we've. We don't have a quarterback. I mean, Smith, we have a wide receiver playing quarterback. He's doing a great job running the ball. It's just, just don't have the firepower. All right, let's uh, move on to some hot takes. I'll Take be, a balloon. I'll be quick with this one. I had a notebook of takes <clears throat> this week. It's sort of tough to choose one, but I'm going to go with Minnesota is going to win the Big Ten West. Minnesota hosts Wisconsin in the final game of the regular season. Wisconsin plays Ohio State this week. If Wisconsin loses, they have two Big Ten losses. That gives Minnesota some wiggle room. As far as conference standings are concerned, Minnesota has a really explosive offense. They're playing really well. Undefeated so far. I like their balanced attack, and I like them to beat Wisconsin on November 23rd. Uh, I'm good with that. Okay. Yeah, this is that they're probably going to be 8-0 after this weekend. Yeah, yeah. Did you get that one from the Hot Take Factory? It's my own take factory. Okay. Um, I'm really in a Barton stake. Great. Okay, so my take is... Another one you spent a while on. Uh, this was actually an, an authentic, original Barton take. Uh, Jake Fromm will return for his senior season. Whoa. That is kind of a Whoa. Bad. So this, this take is based on a few things. For one, um, he's not playing that well. Um, he's, he's, he's just been okay. They're not really letting him loose. He has an inexperienced... Uh, wide receivers. This is also a pretty loaded year at quarterback. A uh, lot of first-round candidates. Not that there won't be any next year, but I think given the way where his stock has gone, uh, given the way this season has played out for Georgia, given that a lot of those guys will be coming back for him next year, I think the shrewd thing to do for Jake Fromm will be to stay next season and then come out following that year. And certainly, that will be encouraged by Kirby Smart, considering they only have Stetson Bennett basically waiting in the wings. I'll say this. I'm going to get tricked into thinking college players care about legacy and all that stuff, because usually it's just about going pro and getting money. Jake Fromm's the guy who cares about legacy. I, th I think Jake Fromm can see next year as a window of sort of a, a SEC title game in a two or less era and in, that, in a playoff appearance. I, I agree with you. I think Jake Fromm values that stuff. Didn't one of you say that there'd be six Barney. quarterbacks in the first round? Is that you? Yeah. So can take, so I'm, no, I'm, takes, I, I'm, takes. This is this cancels out my okay. other take. This is uh, this is this is like an earlier take veto. But it it actually strengthens my week three take that Joe Burrow is better than Jake Fromm. Was that a week three take? Yep. I mean that's that has looked to be very true. Thank you. Yeah. It's about the about time you hit on one of them. <sighs> <All> <laughs> right, wait till 2022. I can hit on some. I'm gonna throw it back to Connor for some more questions. 
Yep, we've got a question from Ron Lopez, who wants to know if USC wins out, does Clay Helton keep his job? For context, USC just got a 41 to 14 win over Arizona to push them to four and three so far on the year. I had no idea that USC beat Arizona by that much. The things that happen out in the West. Uh, they got to play Oregon? No. They, they, it, oh, if they went it, out. Sure. If they yeah, went out. yeah. Yeah. So if they went out, they would finish nine and three. Yeah, that, that. Yeah, I think you can. Can you get Urban Meyer easily? That that's that swings. I would. I better Meyer's just itching to take this oh, job. Yeah. But I I think Clay Helton gets his job at nine and three, uh, keeps his job at nine and three unless there is a like airtight deal in place that says Urban Meyer's jumping on board right away. I think there might be. Might be. Uh, next question up, Mark Bost asks, tougher test for Penn State, Michigan State, or Minnesota? The Nittany Lions have the Spartans this weekend, a bye, and then Minnesota. I think Michigan State. Yeah. It's, it's on the road. This is uh, as good as a Penn State has been on offense. They are a little bit all or nothing. It's either two or three yards or it's 60 yards. Um, and they've, they're really reliant on K.J. Hamler to be their big play guy. Uh, they're using him a lot of different ways. I think when you are a little bit one-dimensional, Michigan State can hone in on that. This is a game, Michigan State, coming off a of bye week that they're going to be prepared for. Tough game last week against Michigan. I, I just think there's a lot of factors involved that make this a really dangerous spot. I think Penn State will beat Minnesota, but this one scares me. I hope you can recite this for the pick segment in five minutes. That was good. Yeah. Who did I even pick? Oh, God. (laughs) Our last question comes from Seth Henninger. He wants to know, who is the second-best team in the ACC? Second-best team in the ACC? Yeah. Um, Virginia? Is it Pitt? I think... North Carolina? Louisville? So the options are... Wake Forest? Yeah, the options are Virginia, Pitt, and Wake, maybe? Louisville beat Wake. I know, but, you know, okay. Virginia right. beat Pitt. I mean, there's a lot of... Clemson's backups. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, I'd say, I, honestly, I think right now, Pitt. I yeah. think that's the team I like the best in that, in that conference. Uh, that's it on questions. All right, thank you. So let's get into the fan of the week. It's Joseph Anderson. His Duck. question is, are the Oregon Ducks a sleeper in the upcoming college football playoff? I'm glad we chose this because we haven't talked about Oregon and at all and they had a massive win over Washington. It's been the best year for questions. Really? Uh, today, hey, Barton, do you, are we giving more stock to Oregon sort of getting into the playoffs now? Oregon is absolutely a sleeper for the playoffs. I think, I mean, they played basically in hostile environment first game of the year against Auburn. They really looked like the better team for a lot of that game. Uh, lost it, and so obviously that that's you don't you know they didn't win. But I think given the way they played, the way the committee values sort of their own eye test, their own football IQ, I think they're going to believe that this is a team that's really good. And if that was the only loss, and it was Week One against the S- an SEC opponent, and they go on and and have the kind of finish that they would they would have with an undefeated record the rest of the way. I think as long as there's not four undefeated teams, Oregon would have a great shot at getting in. I guess the schedule is really the only thing that will hurt Oregon. Uh, None of these Pac-12 teams are really blowing people away. That was a great win against Washington. Justin Herbert, four touchdowns. That was a game we've been waiting for him to have. Uh, So you have Arizona State later in the season. Then you'd have probably Utah in the Pac-12 title game or Arizona State again. So 
I don't know. There's so many good teams in college football, it's going to be tough. But again, we don't know what we don't know. We don't know if Oklahoma's about to go down, if Ohio State's about to go down. But you know, Oregon, Oregon actually looks like a playoff-deserving team rather than just they would have the resume for it. You guys ready for some picks? Let's do it. All righty, let's put up this graphic. I have no idea how I did last week. By the way, I got to thank Kevin Boiler for yeah. filling in last week, doing a great oh job. I can't God. think of enough. Trey, wow. <laughs> five and five. Josh, you went five and five. I know, that's oh. what I was. Dude. Guys. Connor, you and Barton are tied. Well, wow. well I didn't have the easiest week. No, I'm not, no excuses. Whatever. Uh, all right. You guys ready to get oh, started? Oh, cry me a river. Yeah. You know, make your picks. Yeah. All right, five number five six, Penn State, up. six and a half point favorite of Michigan State. Yeah, I always feel a little queasy picking against Mark D'Antonio when <laughs> once the once the weather turns, uh, uh, especially uh, at home. But I'm going Penn State here. I give James Franklin a coaching matchup in a head-to-head contest with Mark D'Antonio here. And I already heard Barton talk about this game so much, so I'm just gonna be quick. I'm not I'm terrified of this game. I, I think look, I have Penn State, but there's gonna be. A lot of Penn States around here. What is that? Am I doing that right? A lot of Penn States. <laughs> and that worries me because I think that this is a Michigan, with this group. I think it's a Michigan State team that can can absolutely win this game. Um, I, I think that while this is a Michigan State team that's flawed on offense, the defense can still stop the run. And if you can stop the run, if you can hone in on KJ Hamler, I think that you can make this a low-scoring game. Look, Michigan State beat a good Penn State team last year on the road. They had no business winning that game, and they just found a way. Michigan State has a way of doing this. Uh, that's a lot of Michigan State love for a Penn State pick. I just think this has got a chance to be a scary game. Well, I went Penn State, so that means that Michigan State's going to win the game. So uh, I got Penn State. No, or sorry, <clears throat> no one's me. ranked here. <laughs> yeah, this is the game came out of nowhere. Liberty is a seven and a half point favorite at Rutgers. Yeah, wow. Um, I'm going Rutgers here. Whoa. I uh, even though they're, the, you know, nobody nobody likes Rutgers here. I don't think, but I just don't want to find myself in a position of having to root for Liberty to make my picks look good. So I'm going. I'm going with the Scarlet Knights. I actually do like Rutgers. Got a lot of friends from New Jersey. However, I'm going Liberty, and only its first full year as an FBS team. They are going to blast Rutgers. Liberty has a top 40 off in the college football. Rutgers has one of the worst, just anything in college football. So Liberty here. That's a sweet friend brag about all your New Jersey friends. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I think Liberty, a seven-point favorite, seven and a half-point favorite, <laughs> is is wild, uh, and I'm going to go with the Flames as well. Good for you uh, knowing the mascot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is this anyone that can, can call Rutgers a Super Bowl is is going to be motivated. And this is a little bit of a Super Bowl. You know, it's a, it's a Power Five opponent. Liberty's going to go in there and win. Why am I drawing a blank on the coach's name? Uh, freeze? Yeah, Freeze. I'm drawing a blank. Is he coach on You're the sideline? guy. You yeah. yeah, I know. That's the thing. He's back on the sideline. He yeah. He's out of the dentist chair. <laughs> yeah. I look. I have no idea. I just want Liberty because it's a seven and a half point. The, the, the favorite. Give me Liberty. Virginia. Three-point favorite at Louisville. <clears throat> yeah, outside of uh, getting blown out by Clemson last week, seems like Scott Satterfield's got this team rounding into form, and they're at home. I think the fans are excited about where this program is headed, and it's going to be a tough environment. And Virginia's offense and their offensive line, I just don't, I just don't like how that's going to travel. I've got the Cardinals. Louisville, yeah, it was a blowout. They actually played really well for for a half. I was impressed with what I saw. They got a good uh, two-quarterback system going. I'm going Cardinals. 
I'm surprised that we're getting a bunch of Cardinal picks, but I, I'm going to join. I think that Louisville is uh, finding something offensively, um, and I, I think that Virginia, last week's game was an impressive showing, but I think that's a little bit of a, uh, a misnomer. Like I, I still think there's a Louisville team that's that's due for a another big win because they got a tough backstretch, and I think that they get to about, about five or six wins this year, so give me Louisville. I ain't picking them. Give me Virginia. <laughs> Oklahoma State at number 23, Iowa State. Iowa State's a 10.5-point favorite. Yeah, I feel like Oklahoma State's a little too good to be on the skid they're on right now, but I think it's going to continue. They're going to lose to a tough Iowa State team. Yeah, Iowa State is 10-0 in the month of October, the last three seasons, and they have gotten squarely off the mat as far as biggest disappointments of the year are concerned. They're playing super well right now. I'm going to Cyclones. Uh, I don't think they've ever been a disappointment. They were to me. They yeah. barely beat FCS Northern Iowa. They lost to Iowa. They lost to Baylor. They lost to Iowa and Baylor, but outgained both. Like that was those were games where you could see they were a good team. I think this is sneaky, one of the best teams in the country that is not quite getting the sort of respect that maybe it deserves. I'm I'm a little worried about Mike Gundy sort of coming up and biting someone at some point this year. I don't think it comes this week. I think Iowa State is too sound on both sides of the ball, so give me the Cyclones. I'm going to roll with Iowa State as well. South Carolina is a four-point mm. favorite at Tennessee. There are plenty of charges you could lay at the door of Will Muschamp about how he manages the football program, but one thing you can say about him is that he is 7-0 and against Tennessee, and that's going to continue on Saturday. I like it. I don't know Tennessee's quarterback situation. I almost looked pretty good at picking South Carolina last week against Florida. The refs cost me it. Going Gamecocks. <laughs> Okay, I mean, Florida won by 11. Joking. <laughs> okay, all right. So, I, I like Tennessee here. I'm going to go with the upset. Oh. I, I, think, I think Tennessee is, is starting to gain some confidence. They get out of last week's game, and I think that while they lost by a significant margin, I think that the fact that they're about to be one score away, if not for a big mistake, is going to be something they rally around and something that is, is going to give them confidence moving forward. At home, they're, they're, I think that they're ready for a, a, a big statement win, and uh, I think it goes to the hands of South Carolina. Josh, I, you see I, that? Okay. He kind of got, got a little upset pick, got a little pedestal All right, what, what well, okay. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Look, I actually kind of agree with you. I think Tennessee's getting their confidence all right. I just don't know the quarterback situation. I trust South Carolina more. I'm going with South Carolina. Number 15, Texas is one-point favorite at TCU. Yeah, I'm going Texas here. Uh, Plenty of reason to feel nervous about this for the Longhorns, but you've got Sam Ellinger. Feel much better about the Longhorns quarterback situation in a, in a tight game. I think that'll be the difference. I hope I'm wrong. Texas has made me look like a fool too many times on this show. I'm going TCU. The Longhorns always struggle in Fort Worth. I don't know how they're favored. Uh, Texas is walking and winning on defense. Thankfully, TCU's passing attack can't beat them, but I bet they kind of run all over UT. Uh, Horned Frogs, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I think that the, the issues that Texas is having defensively uh, are, are not going to slow down in this game. Uh, uh, TCU started a true freshman quarterback, Max Duggan. They're, they're, they're growing into that a little bit. But I think that he starts to come along this week. The run game is awesome. They're really physical, not only up front, but both of those running backs are, can absolutely get after you downhill. Uh, I, I just like TCU, as you mentioned. They, they're really good at home in this series. Uh, give me the Horned Frogs. Texas has been beating my head about the coming, how great they are the entire offseason. I can't let it go. I'm not picking against them. I'll take Texas. All right. I'm in. Number All 24, right. Arizona State is a four-point favorite at UCLA. 
Yeah, I mean, Arizona State, well, wonder, I worry about uh, mediocre offensives traveling in conference play, but UCLA, like, I don't really know what they do well. Arizona State has a great defense. I've got the Sun Devils. Going to Arizona State as well. Big fan of that team. I know they didn't look very good against Utah. I just think it's funny, like, U UCLA finally gets a win after literally last Thursday we spent our time wondering if they would win another one the rest of the season. Yeah, but they played a, a, a Jack West-led Stanford team. And so let's not get overboard about what this UCLA team is. I still think as we get into this matchup, <clears throat> one of these teams you can trust, one of them you can't. I think Arizona State will be ready to play after a tough loss last week. Give me Herm's boys. As long as Arizona State is on the slate, I will not pick against Herm. Arizona State. Number 13, Wisconsin, is going to number three, Ohio State. Ohio State's a 14-point favorite. Yeah, we found out Wisconsin's mortal last weekend, and Ohio State is immortal, so Buckeyes. Yeah, Ohio State probably big. It's going to be certainly very interesting to see if Wisconsin can kind of crack that code, but Michigan State defensively is very similar to them, and they could not do that a few weeks ago. Ohio State might be tied at first quarter. Might be tied midway through the second. Uh, but at some point, the wave of talent and speed and versatility that this Ohio State team has offensively and defensively will overwhelm Wisconsin. I think ultimately Ohio State will roll. So give me the Buckeyes. I like Ohio State. I do think Wisconsin can keep it close, might keep it close, especially after a disappointing loss. Could see them coming out on fire. Uh, but give me Ohio State here. Number nine, Auburn at number two, LSU. LSU's a 10 and a half point favorite. Yeah, maybe you could tell yourself a story about LSU looking ahead to Alabama after their bye next week, but I've got LSU. It's weird how the teams that are great in college football are like just tremendous teams because these point spreads are outrageous, yeah. right? Like 10 years ago, we weren't seeing spreads like this. That tells me LSU's that good. They're gonna, they're gonna, Joe Burrow versus Bo Nix isn't fair. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. All right, so sometimes, oh, no. I, sometimes I multitask when I'm filling these out. <laughs> and I, uh, 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 I picked <laughs> Auburn here. Oh, no. I didn't I admit I, I think LSU is going to win this game, but here I am. <laughs> On the record, officially, I'm going to Auburn. Look, I don't Colin believe. Just Colin, <laughs> Colin's like, just, I'm done. I'm, Colin's like, I'm, I'm sorry, done. Colin. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I, I don't know what I can get credit for here. I think LSU is going to win the game. If I got to go on the record for Auburn, I will. I think Auburn could potentially cover. Uh, there we go. Collins. All right, Collins. <laughs> Collins, the man. Give me LSU. Uh, I I've got LSU. No change in a fix you there. Take Collins out. Look at Collins, bro. I saw this mortified look on Barton's face after I gave oh, my pick, and God. I was like, "Geez, what did I say I, that I was so wrong?" I could well, see Collins' face when I, when I he thought takes Barton was kind of gearing up for our. I was like, "Oh, here's no, his going there." Sometimes. Oh, All right, and finally, number eight Notre Dame at number nineteen Michigan. Michigan is a one point favorite. Yeah, um, I don't really know what I was thinking when I did this. Oh, I, I probably just one point. Uh, I went Michigan. I think, you know, just a one-point spread. Figured I'd go against the grain, try to create some separation in those tight standings in our pick -em. So, Jim Harbaugh is 1-10 against the AP Top 10. Notre Dame's coming off a bye. Notre Dame's a better team. Notre Dame's got a great defense that's going to shut down Michigan. I give Michigan credit for its furious rally last week against Penn State, but... Notre Dame's a better team here. I don't. I, mean, I don't even know how Michigan could possibly be favored. I, no, I, I. I actually understand 
why Michigan is favored here, and I think that Michigan, like this game scares me as for a, for a Notre Dame perspective. Um, I think that Michigan found something offensively last week. Uh, I, I think it's, you know, it's going to be at home. But I also think that Notre Dame, more complete, more consistent, coming off a of bye week. Brian Kelly's been talking about how mature this team is. Uh, I, I think that this will be a business trip for Notre Dame. And while it'll be close, I just think the game plan that they'll put together will be enough to get them past this Michigan team. Two weeks ago, I thought I, I knew what Notre Dame was. After seeing my beloved Wildcats go down to Georgia and hold Georgia's offense scoreless in the first half, I'm not so sure about Notre Dame's defense anymore. I don't know what we have there anymore. But that being said, I'm taking Notre Dame. I don't know why. I just think maybe they win. So give me Notre Dame. We got some chance for separation here. Connor and Barton have very different picks. Yeah, I think yeah. this is this is pretty wide open. This separation, is this is a very big week. Saturday. Yeah, yeah, separation Saturday. All right. Uh, any final thoughts on our way out, fellas? Uh, classic. Just you know, go horns, right? Hook them. Hook them. Hook them. We need it. All right. Well, thank you for everybody. Thank you everybody back. Colin, uh, Mike, Kevin, Ted, Aaron, Barton, thank Trey, you, Connor. Thank you, Colin. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.